1: Hi everyone, I'm Joanna, and this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. Now, I actually have two very special guests with me today, and when I asked them to join me on this podcast, the first thing they said was, "Um, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if we're the most hyphenated people in the world. I mean, we're pretty American, but, um, you know, we've sort of expanded the definition of what hyphenated means on this podcast, and I think these guys are some of the most hyphenated people I've met, especially when it comes to their art and their careers, So, the Gregory Brothers are an American musical group that has become super, super famous for their comedy music videos on their YouTube channel, Shmo Yoho. Now, I'm going to list some of the viral songs and videos that they've created over the past decade, and I can guarantee you, you've heard of at least two. Minimum. Minimum. So... The Bed Intruder song, Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife, the Double Rainbow song, the Songify the News, where presidential debates were auto-tuned and edited, and more recently, over the past year, the iconic Chrissy, wake up, I don't like this, I can't say it without singing it, and of course, the It's Corn, that uh, wonderful song um, that has brightened up our our lives and days for the past few weeks. So they have single-handedly created a new genre of comedy and music, which I think perfectly encapsulates our time, where the internet is a canvas for many, and it's also revolutionizing the way that we create art and react to art. So I got two of the Gregory Brothers here with me today, Evan and Andrew. Hey, guys. Hello, two-thirds of the Gregory Brothers.
0: It's us. Thanks for having us. This is really just such a treat.
1: I mean, I know you guys are my friends and, you know, we met at YouTube uh, many years ago and we we clicked. We became bros. Maybe, you know, I'm kind of like another Gregory brother in my head. You know what I mean? I'm the fourth Gregory brother.
2: Um, Yeah, I would I would 100 percent agree that you are another Gregory brother in your head.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm glad we agree. I'm glad we agree. I love it. I love this for us. But you know, when I met you guys, I think one of the the biggest shocks for me was seeing the people that were behind so many videos that for my generation, and then even now are like, uh, you guys, with your viral songs, I feel like created a new genre, which is one of the reasons I wanted to invite you to hyphenate it, I think you guys are one of the most hyphenated people I know, career-wise.
0: Wow. I, I take that as a compliment, I think.
1: You know, let's see. We, we're. I'm not sure yet, either. <laughs> of course it's a compliment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's very kind. I, I um, I feel great about being hyphenated. I'm, I've failed to even say my name out loud so far, so I'm gonna do that because it can be very hard to distinguish our voices since we are brothers, so I'm just saying this for the benefit of... Well, maybe for your benefit, but certainly for the listener's benefit. My name's Evan Gregory. I'm Andrew Gregory. And who's Michael Gregory? And we're two of the Gregory brothers. We have another brother. Another brother, yeah. Yeah. His name is (laughs) Michael. He's the...
2: Also, our longtime colleague has been Evan's wife, Sarah Gregory. Yes. She's not in the office every day anymore, but if if you're familiar with our YouTube videos and our YouTube channel, uh, you'll be familiar with Sarah, too. Uh, Some people will complain, how can you call yourself the Gregory brothers if... There's a lady in the group, mm-hmm. much less one that isn't. That's brother. a brother. That's a tough one to get your head around. But it's around like here. tear, tear the veil off your eyes. Look at the Almond Brothers. There's, there's here only. Yeah, ever since duane died, there's only one brother in the whole Almond Brothers band. There's like eight guys in there. They're still the
0: Almond Brothers. At rest exactly. in peace, Dwayne. You know. We have extremely high brother quotient in this brother group.
2: Yeah, the Dixie Chicks. That's a sisters band, but you know, the, but Natalie isn't
0: a sister. They yeah. even call themselves sisters. You know, They're chill out, chill out, people.
1: Chill out, and then you know what? Why not add more brothers to the band? Like, why not add a Joanna mm-hmm. to the Gregory Brothers? Do you know what mm, I'm saying? Mean, like, I yeah, we could sneak in an honorary just, brother. I,
2: we are 100 going to do that in your mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was I was reading up on you guys. I know you know I'm I'm a big fan. I'm also your friends, and I was reading up on you guys, and I I had this conclusion. I had this conclusion. And I want to see if you agree with me. I think that the type of stuff you guys make is almost like when in the 1960s uh, people started working with found art. Like you had a lot of these artists, these American artists specifically, you know, not just painting stuff, but finding stuff and reimagining that found stuff to create new art. And I think you guys are artists in the same sense in this digital world. You take things that exist, put your spin on it, and make it something completely new and have it like just obtain a completely new uh, meaning. And so my first question for you guys is what is the first video you guys des- decided to, to songify and did you expect it to go as viral as it did?
0: Um. First of all, thanks for your very kind critical assessment of our work, Put- putting us in a, a timeline of fine artists is uh, <laughs> is, is very generous and s- sweet. I, I, I'm i kind of like reading in between the lines and, and and hearing you describe like the Andy Warhol Campbell Soup can, for example, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like why is that why is that powerful? Not because of any inherent graphic properties of the can, but because we all have cultural associations with mm-hmm. the can, and then you project that onto the the painting or the or the Warhol print. Of it. And I think there is something to what you're saying about about our work, that if we make a song out of a political debate or out of a viral video, if you've already seen that thing, it it has some meaning already. It has some significance to you already. And so then we can, when we're at our best, we can elevate that or turn it into, we can distill it into some kind of anthem and and play upon those feelings or meanings that already existed. Anyway, to your question, I would say the, the first time that... Uh, We really were applying the ideas of songification, making a song out of found stuff, was the 2008 presidential debates, which now Mm -hmm. is, that's now really a long ass time ago. But yeah, I think the the McCain-Obama debates and Biden-Palin vice presidential debates were the first time that we kind of uh, applied the novel idea of we're going to use available technology to take the sounds and phonemes coming out of these people's mouths we were kind of political junkies it could could have been any type of video right this is the one that occurred to us because it was the most important news at the time it's october of uh of 2008 everyone's talking about this but
2: Shmoyoho had had originally been the now i hope to say i'm gonna say it i hope this is true iconic youtube channel had originally been michael's that had been like just his like middle school brain AOL username in like 1995, you know, flash forward 12 years and now it's the it's the YouTube channel in the mid 2000s and he uploaded a video that he had made himself for the oh, the first Obama McCain debate. That was just like a music and it video. it got like 30 or 40,000 views, which for us at that time was mind-blowing. You know, Michael had two or 300 subscribers in, which are
0: all like his friends from yeah, college. It's you know?
2: 2008 YouTube, so like there's no there's like there like there's no major players. None of the major players like NBC, Viacom. Like all those channels are not on YouTube. It's all user made videos. So to get thirty or forty thousand views, we were playing in a band at the time, like a serious band, like it wasn't comedy music, and we just ground out like a six month tour. Where maybe in six months we played in front of like three to five thousand people over fifty gigs. So just mm-hmm. Michael made this video and got like thirty or forty, maybe fifty thousand views. We were just kind of like, what's the next debate on the calendar? Let's all sit down. Let's all work on this. And it was the Biden, Palin, vice presidential interview.
0: It was the thing that like we could all work on together with a shared family history. It's like we got each other. We had the same sense of humor. We had the same uh, you know, political insights about what, what we would want to try to make funny or, or make musical. And, and so we started putting more and more eggs in that basket. It was, it was maybe the next spring that it really popped off to another order of magnitude of, of virality when after the presidential election, we thought we still hadn't gotten galaxy brained enough to think you could just do this with any yeah, piece I mean, of viral video ever. We still were like, you know what this works with is politics. So how can we, we're going to make this about current events. So we could do this every you know, couple of weeks we could make, we could serialize it. So we created this series called auto-tune the news Mm-hmm. In which we're applying this idea to just the current events of the day, and we would make a video that's like a collage of three or four different stories that turn into one single song um and it was a lot of work, but the second episode of that really blew up with this like to the tune of a million views so so that's a really big number in two thousand and nine YouTube yeah,
2: it was talked about in yeah. like late night shows, which was like a mark of like. Of crossing out of like the YouTube sphere, like Jay Leno and Katie Couric talked about it when she went on Jay Leno, and Rachel Maddow had um, Evan and Michael and Sarah on. Like it was just a, it was it was a really um, wild well, time.
0: That's when we had a clue that it's like, well, we could keep investing in this, and this might be something. That even predates the YouTube Partner Program, so you, we couldn't really get paid for it. But still, when you have mm-hmm. uh, you have a big number like a million views, you have a you have a clue like there's something here. We should keep doing this.
2: Right, like no, like at that time, maybe there were fifty or hundred YouTube partners that YouTube would like pick up the phone and call, and be like, "Do you want to be a YouTube partner?" Now you're getting like auto emailed if your video gets a thousand views, being like, "Would you like to monetize this video?" It's all computerized. At the time, we were like, "Maybe one day, we'll be YouTube partners,"
1: but there's only a couple hundred of those.
2: Like the YouTube partnership program was just starting.
1: I mean, you guys were at the at the beginning of I think what YouTube ultimately became like i you know i feel like now it's it's completely different and and i'd also i also want to ask you guys about you know tiktok and how 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 that structure how even even shorter form and how song has sort of been inculcated into now comedy videos even more than we saw before um but putting that aside uh you guys were at the beginning of this like youtube push like i remember when youtube was like Charlie bit my finger, and you know it wasn't as reactionary. It almost felt like it was in another world. It had its own vernacular. It's had it had its own like culture, and it it felt like it 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 was starting to permeate and, and perforate into like r- real life, into entertainment, into late night shows, as you said, and. I remember when when um, the Bed Intruder song came out, and that and I was in Venezuela. Okay, I was like in Latin America, and everyone was singing <laughs> that song. And I remember hearing about it beyond just YouTube. It wasn't just a thing that existed in YouTube. It was like virality beyond the platform. Yeah, yeah. And now I feel like YouTube is not what it used to be, and not in a bad way. But now we have like these platforms like TikTok and Instagram that audio just clips music is enough content for people to now do what you did which is make that piece of content their own right like everyone is is now doing the all right this piece of content exists this dialogue from a reality tv show exists and now i'm going to say it and put my own new spin and context to it
2: i mean 12 years ago i was talking about like YouTube, none of the major channels, none of the major major cable channels had any presence on YouTube. Now when I'm watching an NBA game on TNT, YouTube is the main advertiser on an NBA game. <laughs> like just it's, it's flipped who has the money and who has the power in that relationship between TV and YouTube in a very, very, very short period of time.
1: Yeah. And the craziest thing that you guys told me was when you were offered to do the um, intro song for Kimmy Schmidt. And at that point, what were you guys feeling? Because I remember listening to that intro and being like, "I know exactly what this is referencing. Like, I know that this is referencing a YouTube style that I've been growing up with, and now it is part of like an actual television show."
0: Yeah, when Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, came to us, I mean, they, they had already premised the entire th- thing. That that was their going-in idea of what the theme song for the show would be. Is this idea that? Uh, Kimmy Schmidt's, um, you know, re- release from captivity is is going viral itself, and and one mm-hmm. part of the story of how people go viral now includes remix culture. That that this phenomenon is so big. Of if if a viral video gets to a certain size, then necessarily there will be fan art made of it. There will be remixes. Mm-hmm made of it and so therefore that could be the theme song the way that Kimmy Schmidt is introduced to the world so that they had already kind of composed the song and the idea and then eventually got connected to us so that we could basically help execute and make the thing sound <laughs> like make it sound and feel like it was supposed to sound so it would sort of feel real so we're their idea is basically our style so then we came on to help execute our own style
1: they you know, like we want it to sound kind of like um oh god how do I put this what you do Yes, yeah. yes.
0: I mean,
2: yes. I mean we, we have done it for a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies, probably more than you realize. And what we mm-hmm. hear from a lot of those musical directors is like, yeah, we tried to do this ourselves, but we, we just couldn't do it, right? <laughs> like, they've already tried What
1: are some other examples? What are some uh, other examples? We did,
2: uh, there was a big run in like the 2012s, 2014s when there's more novelty around it. We did The Cleveland Show. We did a movie called Fun Size. We did a, Nickelodeon vehicle, a, I think. a uh, TV show called The Resident. That's
0: a um, like a Fox, a Fox medical, medical drama show. On but there the were com- what other cartoons do we do? Uh, uh, we we did the FX comedy Wilfred. We did the FX comedy Anger Management with Charlie oh, Sheen. Yeah. So we did a lot so, of these. And th- that's that's only half the examples. Yeah. Probably there's a, there's a s- accepted storyline now that couldn't have existed 15 yeah. years ago, which is uh, in any sitcom or story, somebody gets filmed doing something, and then in the second act, that thing goes viral, yeah. and one of the signifiers for like, whoa, ho, ho, you went viral. <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. Whoa, you got 100,000 views, man. You must be really Wait, embarrassed. Wait, there's a remix. What? Wow, that, that means <laughs> this is really
2: viral. I like to call this Chekhov's iPhone, that if <laughs> in any TV show or if any in any film in the first act, someone says, hey, I'm filming this on my iPhone. By the third act, you know that that video will go viral.
1: I love that. <laughs> Chekhov would be so proud. You yeah, know, he, he he's going along with the times. He's adapting and he's not even around.
0: Chekhov would be on TikTok for sure. You guys sure. keep
2: talking. I'm going to go get Joanna a surprise that I want to show her.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so oh, excited. This is a surprise okay, to go. me too. Go get me my surprise.
0: <laughs> okay. Let me fill the time while Andrew's gone. What were we talking about? I mean, about? I guess that's my oh. job as
3: a host. What should I say? Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells... Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick.
0: You brought up something a minute ago about that is really important, I think, which is that the whole backbone of TikTok as a platform, which is now ascendant, right? I mean, YouTube Mm -hmm. does tons more uh, views if you just look at the numbers of like where people put their eyeballs for how many minutes Mm -hmm. a day. But TikTok is clearly culturally ascendant in terms of like its ability to drive trends and is it popular with younger kids that, you know, like that's, you know, that's the really important metric, right? So what the backbone of TikTok is this idea of remix culture that we touched on, namely being Mm -hmm. able to take existing media and putting your spin on it putting new context on it for us it's like taking spoken words and creating melodies and songs and if we're successful it's because we can make something catchy and like distill its essence but tiktok has it baked into the platform you could take somebody else's sound and of course the original upload is by use of the platform Giving other TikTok users the right to to do so, right? It's the the sort of rights issues are, are baked into mm-hmm. using the platform. So you can just take the sound and add your own context, and that is so powerful f- to to make something funny, to make something sentimental. It's it's really quite amazing. So that idea of of remix culture is the fabric of TikTok and why it works so well, why it's so compelling.
1: And now it's like the fabric of of how our society reacts to news and things. And, you know, my very good friend, Sarah Cooper, who's actually been on the show, you know, she's an amazing writer, great comedian. And then during the pandemic, she's just started lip syncing to Trump's speeches. And it went so viral that like, you know, she became a star. And, you know, I remember talking to her and her saying, it's so bizarre that like, I had to just add a little bit more context to something that someone was already saying. And that was enough comedy. That was enough of a satirical take for people to reshare it.
0: Yes. Because there was so much truth in it, right? It was, it was
1: hilarious. There was was so much truth in it. Oh God. What is my surprise here?
2: It is. Well, I grabbed this off our, um, our kitchen fridge, Joanna. Um, I'm always tickled when anyone refers to us as a collage artist because I think that's how I think of myself but most people don't think of us that way. Mm-hmm. But I can't I can't say it first because then that seems very pretentious.
1: <laughs> I think you're a collage artist.
2: But there's this strange period of our lives When, like, how old do you think we were, Evan? Maybe, like, 10, 13, and 16?
0: Yeah, middle schoolers. Uh, Like, uh, middle school to high school. What Andrew is about to share is our early career as remix artists. That now it makes it look like now that we meant to do this the whole time. As opposed to what actually happened, which is we tried something a little (laughs) bit novel and then stumbled into being YouTubers. Yeah, this
2: was a hobby of ours for, like, maybe two to four years. When
0: we were kids. When we were kids. And... Every day we'd come home, we'd read the funny papers. We loved the funny papers. The actual paper newspaper would be on the kitchen table and we'd read the comics.
2: And we got in the habit of just cutting up all of the comics or the funniest comics out of the newspaper and putting them back together in a way that we found to be funnier than the original comic strips. Stop it. And one of the things that was quite funny about that is like you'd get in arguments like you do in a writer's room. Like the three of you there and you're like, "No, no, 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 this line would be way funnier as right. a punchline than this one, but it's like, ah, oh, like, I'm not saying that these are, like, the height of art, or that we st- <laughs> we were thinking, like, well, these collages are working, so we've got to make collage in the future, but it weirdly did kind of model for us, like, working through an argument and being like, yeah, that joke's funnier, we all agree today, or, like, Yeah, that, we're, we're that,
0: pitching each other in yeah, middle school, like, writer's room or, or that
2: feeling where you're like, well, like, today I just lost, but I have to go buy it, because the other two really <laughs> agreed that the joke- I thought was funny or was not. Funny.
0: I realize this is an audio only medium. So I'm going to describe to the listeners what I'm holding up here, which we eventually laminated these because they're getting very sun bleached and we wanted to save them. But this is a family circus cartoon in which, uh, who's this little, Billy. little Billy? Is it Billy. Yeah. Little Billy is outside the house, like wearing a homemade loincloth and his mom, the caption is his mom is saying, come in here and put on some proper clothes, Billy. Who do you think you are? And in the original, Billy is just imagining a caveman. I think he's imagining Tarzan. Tarzan, and that's supposed to be funny—that a little kid would imagine himself as Tarzan and then go outside in a diaper. Basically, that's the joke. Oh, hilarious! In our version, yeah, hilarious, right? That's but that's like par for the course for family circus. Just like something that kind of like doesn't make you haha, but makes you go
1: hmm, clever.
0: Yeah. So what we did was we cut out just a picture of Kathy from the comic strip Kathy. Uh, Just eating her feelings And overeating Like a giant pile Of cookies and spaghetti And so now In our reimagined versions That's what little Billy Is imagining himself as Kathy
1: Can I I be honest If I had to write Like a movie Based off you guys Like I need to write The Gregory Brothers film Even if this wasn't what you guys did as children it is perfect i would write a scene i'd be like you know it would be really great just to chart the artistic progression of these people is they started out <laughs> making collages of existing newspaper clippings and c- recreating comedy based off what was already there and then they moved on to music and and film and video it's it, it's almost like you guys thought out y- your trajectory
0: it is so true. It's like this is the this is the flashback backstory that would be yes, written into like the most pat version of our biopic.
1: That the audience would be like this is this is a little too perfect. I'm <laughs> sure they weren't doing this. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, this is too clean. Like we didn't need to see this backstory. Don't give me Han Solo's backstory. <laughs> I can just appreciate Han Solo in the present. I don't need to see him <laughs> getting named solo because he was alone when he came through customs that sucks
1: wait so when if you guys were doing this at like teenagers, what were you guys doing
0: until youtube well we never envisioned that this would be the end game there was no i there was no (laughs) way you could conceive of what youtube would be much much less that we're going to work together on it like we got along okay as siblings but there's six years between me and michael so when you're when when I'm graduating high school, like Michael is still basically a child. So you can't even really imagine that you'll ever be peers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we went off to college. As it happens, Andrew did go to the same college as me. So we had a year overlap there. I studied music and computer science. But Andrew was off doing like namby-pamby social studies stuff. There's no indication that we we're going to go like try to be in a rock band. But, but sure enough, we were all musically inclined. So in our own individual ways, we all started pursuing individual careers in music
2: yeah and michael studied studio engineering in college at a state oh, university in okay. uh, north carolina so he was going to be like recording state.
0: engineer producer so, type
2: which is an amazing way to kickstart our like songwriting careers in that like i'd gotten really into songwriting in my early 20s and michael basically just like had this state-of-the-art studio available to him we could go down like over christmas break when no one was there and just like kick around in the studio for something like some insane rate, like $50 a day.
0: So it's like we were all pursuing music, but in our own individual kind of personal way, Michael just wanted to be the tech guy that like did the recording, uh, was the producer, sat at the board. I uh, had studied music, but was like, I came to New York and had a day job and was singing in rock bands, like doing cover bands in bars and stuff like that. And, And Andrew was like folky guy with a guitar, going to play restaurants and coffee shops and tour around colleges and and whatever and then as a side project when Michael was just graduating college we're, we're all trying a bunch of different things just to see what sticks mm-hmm. and as a side project we said well, what if we played together we could also have a band together and we toured that a little bit but I, you never would have said that like all our eggs were in that basket we're all, Andrew was mainly focused on his own solo stuff and I was still playing with other bands and sure enough this the side project on our side project which was just posting a funny video, of course, that's the thing that popped off. Of that him. blew it all up. Yeah. That's how it goes, kitties.
1: I mean, it's so true.
0: Get you a side project that has a side project.
1: Maybe because the stakes are lower. Like sometimes I, I think about how much, how much, how many stakes I put on certain things and how that sometimes becomes like a detriment. And sometimes, like the best videos, the most viral videos I made were the videos where I was just like, I don't know, let's just like try this. And then it, it just worked. And it, there's something about virality that I, you know, it, it, it's a mystery, but also it's a math. It's a bizarre, like, concept. Virality for me is, is, it's something that I can't quite put my finger on. But when I see something go viral, I'm like, oh, I know exactly why this went viral. Yeah. I think the virals of the past are like the bad jokes my dad says that my grandpa taught him. Or the, you know, <laughs> folklore. Or the, you know, weird... The halloween stories with the woman with the ribbon around her neck like i feel like that's the original viral <laughs> do you know what i mean it's like oh yeah this is you just
0: mean the oral tradition yeah. of folk tales just... yes
1: <laughs> yes but sometimes like when i watch uh it's corn you know th- which I, I think is probably the biggest hit of this year i i think that i mean and uh chrissy wake up which i didn't even know was you guys until <laughs> until i was listening to it on spotify um but there's something that makes sense to me about it, right? There's like, oh, th- this song slaps. But also, there's this added layer that that I don't know what it is, but I'm like, this is what makes this a phenomenon, is like this kid so excited about corn. Yes. Which is such a bizarre concept. You take this, and then you make it an anthem, is what you said. And I think that's such a great word. That You don't just songify, you make it an anthem of a moment in time that people can all feel like they, this is gonna sound a little like hippie-ish. But when I see those videos and and, and hear these songs, I feel like I'm part of a internet culture. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know what this is. I pick up on it. I belong it. I understand the joke and I can enjoy it and feel connected to the internet as a whole.
0: That's a really good point that because there's multiple layers to a thing because it's part of Remix culture and it took a piece of media and made something more out of it. When, when we make a derivative work, to use a lawyer term, uh, if you recognize all those layers as a viewer, there is a sense of belonging. Like I got it, I got all the layers, and that that can be powerful. But even even if you don't get it, there's still something there for someone. So with with the example of the song, it's corn. It if it works for you, it's because it's managing to be both incredibly wholesome and sentimental and also whimsical and funny. This kid's Mm -hmm. brilliant take on corn is really unique. It makes you laugh, but not in a way that you're laughing at him. You're very much laughing with him. You get it. You get a little bit psyched about corn and then it has some poignancy to it as well.
1: I love what you said that you're not, you're not laughing at him. And I, I think for, I mean, maybe for the political, uh, videos that you made even then i'm not necessarily laughing at them i'm laughing at the situation Mm -hmm. it's never a feeling of like oh i'm let's take advantage of this vulnerable moment that someone had online and then further make fun of it it's kind of like let's elevate it and give it a good spin and as a comedian you know we have the concept of punching up and punching down which punching down is when you use a joke to like hurt someone that has less power than you and punching up is punching up towards power and and punching up can also be self-deprecation. Are you guys aware of this when you make your work or is it just inherently part of your process?
0: Yeah, we're aware of it. I think it maybe started a little bit less consciously or, or inherently but there's complicated dynamics at, at play. The The Wild West nature of the internet means that there are lots of remixes happening at any given point in time that are just uh, and somebody interacting with a piece of video just a- as a as a medium, as an artistic medium, with no consideration for the the likeness or the the rights or or what or whatever. And as we went from you know ten years ago, as we went from being just another YouTuber or just another group of musicians to having some platform or having some profile, no one ever really thought of us as being really famous as personalities, but our productions became known and our, and our channel had some weight. We started to think about that a lot more. And, and how could we build relationships with somebody that we're going to remix if yeah. it, if it has a, well, I mean, we've produced hundreds of things that are just flops, but if we have a non-zero chance of producing something that is going to be a hit, then we want this person to benefit from it. So that started with the double mm-hmm. rainbow song and the bed intruder song uh yes. which is now which is now 12 years yeah. ago but proceeds to to today. So even though on TikTok it's kind of baked in like I said to the platform and just by posting a TikTok, recess therapy is kind of inherently saying to all of TikTok, you may now use this sound and do your own thing with it.
2: Right, we did not turn off duets, so best of luck to us.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we could have just gone out there as could any of, you know, millions and millions of TikTok users make their own duet, do their own spin on the thing, but you know, there's some sense of like, we sort of would we'll post a TikTok that is sort of like a try at it. Just like, see how this goes. As soon mm-hmm. as you, as soon as we could see this is going viral, this is very popular. Then we're making an effort to get in touch with recess therapy, which, you know, on some like very basic level is the rights holder of this show that they made with recess the kid, therapy Tari- is
1: the original is, is,
0: is a show It's the original
1: producer it's the show that this kid the corn kid was interviewed on
0: correct yes correct and then his name is Tariq and so in our estimation like even though the show holds the rights in some real way like it's his it's his likeness and so this if the song is going to take off beyond the show um, it really needs his his buy-in as well so we we got in a relationship with uh, his family and with recess therapy and it's like everybody can feel good about this now.
2: But to your question about just like how do you make sure you're punching up and not punching down or at least like in the, ca- in like in the case of the, It's Corn, like I don't feel like we're punching in any direction. Like we're just making no. a happy song with a kid who is happy about corn and there's kind of no one that is being laughed at. Everyone's just smiling along with corn. I, I, I guess that's what I think.
0: Anyway. Some uh, people but, do get confused though that they find like if they're laughing at all, people then it's just because you're so happy yeah people then yeah people may assume like i must be laughing at something right Mm. so therefore i'm laughing at this sometimes it's difficult for people to understand their own sense of humor it's a a very complicated it's a very complicated human thing so so you can't take for granted that everyone knows what they're laughing at
2: but what i'm trying to say is that we get a ton of fan submissions because this is what we've been known for for 12 years we get an enormous amount of fan submissions, and you can kind of tell how good of a submission is by how many people send it to you. Like if you get one person Mm. submitting you a video, you're like, well, I'll go check that out, but it probably wouldn't be a good submission. If you get 25 people submitting the same video to you in the same day, you can think like, wow, that video is pretty viral, and also it's maybe a pretty good match if 25 different fans thought it was a good match for us. But I've seen some terrible videos that people suggested to us, people who are fans of ours, you know, God love them, But do not get this, what you're talking about, Joanna, of just like, what is funny when you're punching Mm -hmm. up? What is not funny? Like when you're asking us to songify a video where several people died in a terrible car accident. Like, I'm not going to touch that. There's no way that could be a fun song or a funny song. And I'll just delete that email. (laughs) Yeah. If
0: a friend asks how you're doing and you say. I'm okay.
1: Wow, I, you know, in my head, I was like, I wonder what video they would have sent that was that bad. And then it was worse than what I thought. <laughs> and then it was worse than what yeah. I thought. And there's probably there's worse
0: literally... examples of that. But you, you must have your own experience with that. When I think about so, uh, something pricked my mind a few minutes ago when you were talking about uh, your ability to look at something and see why it went viral. I had the same feeling when I was first watching your channel four or five years ago, thinking like, uh, I guess there's a certain amount of grass is greener aspect here where I could look at your channel and be like, Golly, she's got it on lock. She has cracked virality. She's doing the perfect combination of niche times general. Like Joanna <laughs> is absolutely killing it. And like being so uh envious of the power your audience had but also your ability to do widely like accepted just really great comedy. But
1: Well I was just gonna say I wish you had told me that earlier. Because I was like, "What the fuck am I doing with this channel?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I was looking at your channel, and I'm like, "Ugh, like, what? You know, how wonderful to have a skill that you don't have to be in front of the camera to do, and you can make comedy without people commenting about your like, you know, my comedy it, for YouTube. It was like it was impossible to separate the me from what I thought was funny, and and that's that was both my power, but also my weakness." in the sense that what i wanted in a lot a lot of times was like i just want to make something and comment on something or celebrate something without it having to clearly be from my point of view like my mm-hmm. my self like yeah. it can exist without me in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, detached from you because then any comment that someone is making about your comedy is also personal in nature and that really stinks. I remember the connection I was trying to make earlier which is that like you must have gotten thousands of fan submissions about like talk about this thing from how how, like Venezuelans do this and Colombians don't. Whatever. You must have gotten a billion uh, submissions that are like 1% good and 99% bad suggestions. Like these would never work.
2: Yeah. We're on the very far... Other end of that spectrum, though, where we make videos that people love that have really blown up, but like people cannot even know we make. You know, like there, there have been mm-hmm. dozens of times where someone at like a party or something is asking me what my work is, and I'm like explaining it kind of, you know, oh, I make, I, we, I take videos of people talking and make it sound like they're singing. And they're like, oh, kind of like that double rainbow video or like auto tune the news. And it's just like, yes, those are the actual videos <laughs> I make. And people don't, you know, with kind of a more quote unquote normal YouTube channel, and you can't watch your channel and not know you're behind it. You can't watch, you know, yeah. uh, uh, the Vlog Brothers channel and not know who John Green and Hank Green are. And you know, I, yeah. I think that's a blessing and and curse for us because people look at our videos and it's kind of like the work is the work. But also, it's like other YouTubers like can sell a lot more tickets than us. Like we've tried to do ticketed events that we've canceled because people are like, "Well, your videos do really, really well, but people will have no idea who you are."
1: <laughs> but I I think you guys are n- are are the exception because I remember when I started doing YouTube, the whole conversation, all the articles, all of like the modern day philosophers were talking about personality driven content that that was like the future of that, like perspective point of view vlogs, vlogs were like the all the rage. I don't think they are anymore, but I remember having like sitting through like 40 minute freaking vlogs of people just eating breakfast and people. And I, I was so confused by the fact that I had so many million views, but it was like this slice of life of, of it was like humanizing, The internet. It was like humans using the internet and then humans using the internet to humanize. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm saying. But anyway. (laughs) um,
0: (laughs) There's something
1: in there. There's something there that I think is different now. I think the time when we were coming up on YouTube, like what, like 10 years ago, I think it's a very different time than now. I know there's a lot of like big personalities and stuff, but like, I feel like Gen Z sort of, shirks away at like people trying to be funny or like people trying to like the accidental comedy is sort of winning almost like unintentional and I feel like millennial era YouTube was very intentional like it was like all right I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a jump cut here I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this vlog here I'm gonna do that and then now a lot of the videos I get sent are like Security cam videos with like a weird voiceover on top of it. Like like (laughs) the whole personality element of it it still exists, but it almost feels not as important now because so many people can produce like TikTok made making the video inherent to the platform. You don't. You didn't need. You don't need to buy a camera and then edit it and then upload it onto YouTube. You can just make the video on the app. So now everyone is making videos. So there isn't even like a barrier to entry at all.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. I mean, when I think about what you're describing, namely that that YouTube and TikTok and the environment of digital video is different today than it was ten years ago. You know, there's a no-duh element to that, but but the but the and the question is why? Well, what's different about it? You know, for me, it is. Uh, scale, meaning, how many videos and users are there today versus ten years ago? Yeah. yeah, we're talking about the same site, YouTube, but it's not really the same site when two billion people log in every day compared to twenty million or something. That's not really the same site. Right. The scale, the scale difference is unimaginable, and so the ecosystem of videos is so big that it can it can include a tiny minority that's one percent of itself that still is like it was 10 years ago whereas 99 mm-hmm. percent of the site is new stuff that new people are making the other big difference is just uh algorithmic driven service of videos like when you're following vloggers 10 years ago what mattered was who you followed in youtube mm-hmm. terms that's your subscription feed and so if you follow someone and then they vlog each day you get invested in their life like a friendship you know what do they call it parasocial relationship you know you're, you're you're following that person oh
1: my god i never heard of this
0: you don't know what a
2: parasocial relationship is
1: <laughs> i really? mean I'm, is I, very, I can i can infer
2: parasocial relationships like, are so hot heart right heart now no know, a pair you know. a parasocial relationship <laughs> is i think it was i think the term was invented in the 50s or 60s to describe the relationship that like young people had with like rock stars and other pop stars Like, imagine you're writing Frankie Valli or John Lennon five, you know, you're listening to all his interviews on the radio and you're sending him five pieces of fan mail a week. You start, psychologically, you start to feel like you have a friendship.
0: Or that you know this person.
2: And the other person does not know you exist. So that's the definition of a parasocial
0: relationship. Yeah, it's a one-way street.
2: So, like, whatever your favorite podcast is... If you don't know that person, yes. like, actually, personally, you have a parasocial relationship with them. You feel like you could sit down in a room with them and have this friendly, nice conversation. They'd be so happy to be talking with you. And they're like, Joanna Hausman? Who's that? I'm Jada Pinkett-Smith. Yeah, i it's Smith. like literally what's happening of, right now. I'm the host of the Red Room happening. Podcast. Yeah
1: right now <laughs> i have a parasocial relationship with the gregory brothers and now i invited uh, them on my podcast now you're gonna magically they said yes.
2: <laughs> now you're confusing people about what a parasocial relationship is.
0: she's I not am, pre- she's not pretending we are friends we are or i'm just gonna say on the record we're actual real friends and this is a two-way street <laughs> this friendship this is a social social yeah. relationship and
2: joanna's known parasocial relationship is with jada pinkett smith <laughs>
1: oh god jada yeah i think she's my best friend no i i i have had moments in my life where i'll be walking down the street and someone's like joanne oh my god how are you and i'm like i don't remember who this person is and they're like oh my god i was talking to my boyfriend about you the other day and i'm like wait where do i know this person from and they're like anyway can we take a picture i'm a big fan and i'm like Oh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and then yeah. the light bulb goes off like, oh, this actually was a f- fan behaving like a friend. And you it was so good, you believed they were maybe a friend.
1: It happens it happens <laughs> a lot and I mean, I don't mind it. I don't but it, the first couple of time it was it, at times it was weird because it was like, oh, I'm not in on something. Or like
2: I I just want everyone I, I to know I mean, that when Joanna said, "I don't mind it," she tossed her hair.
1: She I tossed her hair when freaking she said, "I don't mind, mind it. it." Like, like literally, I live for it. <laughs> But it is it is it's it's weird. But you know what's I find very very interesting is um, now you know I've i taken a step uh, away from like creating content. I'm you, I'm working on on a show. I barely have time. But the times that I have made content, I've noticed that in contrast to when I started making comedy online, um, the ability for it to be repurposed and sampled by other people is almost as important as the video itself. Mm. Like I posted a video that was very easy to lip sync and it got a lot of lip sync. So people were making their own content based off what I made and that made it go more viral. But something that is very me to the point of it being very difficult to take and revamp, that doesn't work on the platforms.
0: I'll say our our formative pre-digital video experience of virality, namely word of mouth sharing, was when our dad, who was a professor of religion, got in the mail a VHS tape from an old grad school buddy of his that had a tape that was so funny that he dubbed other VHS tapes and sent it to all his buddies around the country that's how that feeling of compulsion that you have to share so now we have a mechanism that makes it really easy to share you're just texting people but there still is if that that desire to share is so powerful my buddies have to see that that some things are so funny that you will go so far as to dub a vhs tape just so your buddies can see it and in this case it was a tape of a televangelist named robert tilton That's why the religion professor found this is so funny. And Robert (laughs) Tilton was known for like getting into the spirit while he's on his show and like pausing Mm -hmm. in the middle of sentences because the spirit was touching him, you know? And so if you send me (laughs) money right now, brothers and sisters. And so every time he paused right that because he was getting touched by the spirit, someone had just dubbed in fart sounds. (laughs) And it really was like this, as as a middle schooler, I was like this may be one of the funniest things I've ever seen.
2: It really killed the, with us as life. middle schoolers in but life. It really killed with our dad, as someone who had been to seminary and was ordained as a minister, but saw ministers like Robert Tilton as being scamps. I think Robert Tilton had gone to jail. At he some did point. go to
0: jail because he's such a charlatan. So
2: it really hit our dad like in that that level of comedy that still exists with you for the rest of your life, that ten year old level, but also like combined with the uh, the more more keen
0: the truth of just critique. like this guy sucks. Yeah.
1: But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, he had this friend of your dad's knew exactly who to send it to. And there was maybe, what like six people in his life he could send it to. And and now, you know, you were talking about niche and how, you know, I always say that on the Internet, specificity and niche work better in in terms of grabbing an audience within, you know, the vast ocean of all the uploads and shit. But the more specific you are, um, the better you do. Like, I remember meeting a lot of YouTube creators that were like so fucking specific with what they were making. They're like, oh yes, I am a weightlifter, but not regular weights. It's weights that are beyond this class (laughs) weight, but also I only consume vegan, uh, food. So it's vegan weightlifters that are of a certain, and it's like this, and they had millions of subscribers and it's like, how? So, the, you know, you this friend of your dad's had this VHS tape, but if he had YouTube, maybe he would have gotten all the religion professors around the world.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. It hits the audience exactly in in the funny bone. Yeah, you're totally right that, that, that that uh, you know, there's a massive YouTube channel out there that is only making D&D miniatures out of paper mache or whatever it is. And YouTube and the world is a big enough place that there are one million people that need to see that and will share it with their D&D miniature paper mache friends.
1: Yes, but I feel like although your guys' work is so specific to you and what you did sort of uh, hadn't been done before... It, it's specific in it in the way that you make it but it's general in the audience that it seeks like anyone can watch a kid sing about corn and get excited about it you don't have to be Venezuelan or or you know know about this or have an interest in this it's sort of like it just is it's sort of like just generally joyful. <laughs> um, I know that stranger things it's like you know when, when you guys did uh, uh, Chrissy wake up, yeah, Stranger, Stranger Things is like the biggest show at, in the moment, but somehow it cut through the noise and went viral. Like, I think it's so much harder to go viral with general stuff than it is to, to go viral with specific, very specific stuff. Um, and you guys keep on doing it. And I just wanna, I just wanna say here that the NP- NPR, you know, National Public Radio, reported that you guys are responsible for some of the biggest viral songs of the past decade. Isn't that crazy?
0: It's very cool. It is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, that I, that was just the other day when they were doing a report on "It's Corn," which is very funny to hear the NPR reporters try to describe <laughs> what "It's Corn" is to their very broad audience of a certain age yes you know
1: well guys you know we're heading to the end of this conversation you guys have a very busy day and then i'm also going to see you guys tomorrow to record your podcast yes, you're coming yes. to our I'm podcast. excited about punch up the um, jam t- punch up the jam
0: i guess this is where we need to pitch our own podcast to your listeners i beg of you come listen to <laughs> our show in which we with our wonderful guest joanna listen to some song i won't tease it here but last time Joanna came on the show we did Gasolina yep. a huge I massive I crossover hate that hit song.
2: Yeah, it was a challenge for Evan and I because neither of us actually speak Spanish. Evan speaks a I, I guess speak a little a bit, bit of like Spanish a high
0: school Spanish. level. But what like what do we do on the show? We dissect the song all to hell and then by the end of the episode we produce we a better a punched up version of that oh. jam.
2: Yeah, so we we made a better version of the song Gasolina by Daddy Yankee with Joanna's help.
0: mm Mhm.
1: Uh, it, it, you know, it's green, it's feminist, it's, you know, yeah. progressive, and you guys should take so you, take a little listen. Take so you a can go listen. back,
2: you can check out that episode. That was one of the first 10 episodes we hosted, I think. Joanna's episode mm-hmm. of Punch Up the Jam for Gasolina, and in a couple of weeks, I will spoil it. We're talking about uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams tomorrow, right? Is that, Joanna, Green Day's Boulevard Broken Dreams.
1: I cannot wait. I have so many feelings. I'm
0: amped. I'm yeah, totally amped. Yeah, a lot of loneliness there. Joanna walks yeah. a lonely road here on Hyphenated. I do.
1: The only road that I have ever known, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. But, you know, I want to thank you guys for coming. Um, I know that you will continue to make viral hits that define the next generation. And, you know, I, I think you guys really are internet postmodern artists. And many years down the line, there's going to be a art historian teaching kids about, like, you know, this type of a pastiche art in the digital sphere. Thank you so much for
2: having us on, Joanna. We really Thank appreciate it. Thank you,
1: guys. You guys are the best.
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem.